morning. Our context changes a bit in that. John chapter 13, what happens uh, is that John has now made a shift. He's made a shift from looking at the ministry of Jesus over the years uh, to the final hours. So, our context gives us, or in, with looking at our context, here's what we understand. This is Thursday night. We're eating the Passover meal together. Friday morning, by 9 a.m., Jesus will be on the cross. So for the next eight or nine weeks, as we walk our way through, pretty slowly, through these chapters, John 13 through John 19, you know, we need to know, like, here's our context, it's Thursday night. It's Thursday night. And we're making our way through the night. Right, it starts, John 13 and 14, it starts in the upper room, they're eating the Passover meal together, and Jesus teaches. He teaches, and he demonstrates, and he invites them in. It's kind of the main idea for us this morning, is that Jesus, our Messiah, what we see is that he loves them and us, and he washes them and us, and he invites them, he teaches and invites them in to participation, to be part of what he is doing. That's what we're going to see as we kind of walk our way through this text. Um, so, part of this, I need Joyce Burton, John Flack, Gracie Ella Mendoza, and Javier. I need y'all to come take a seat on the stools. kind of do two things at once so y'all have a seat I didn't give any of you warning sorry the reason I didn't is because there's always the same feeling it's always the same feeling when we get into this moment and Peter displays it perfectly take off your shoes and your socks I love them work boat. The work boots. <laughs> I love them. I'm wearing mine too. Uh oh. That's what get get on the spot messes you up. Oh, Graciella. How do we handle this? Do we swap out a Graciella for a Malia? Or do we wash your feet in the middle of stockings? You can't do that. Somebody give me some advice here. I'm like in a paralyzed moment right now. Like I like I need a mom to say, Morgan's Morgan's giving me the no. Like don't do that. <laughs> They'll get wet. It'll be okay. We'll just roll them that way. I picked Graciela because she was up here this morning when I got here, with a shovel in her hand. You know. Um, anyway, here's what we see. So we read through this text together. Now, before the feast of the Passover, 
Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. John sets this up. Right? So we talk about a little bit of what, what we see. There's four things that we see here. Number one is this. It's that Jesus loves them. He loves them. So we talk about what love is. Talk about what love is. What is love? What's love? Real question. Love is making yourself low. It's making yourself low and caring for the well-being of another. That's what we see that Jesus demonstrates here. He loves them. It's making yourself low to serve the well-being of another. Now look, here's what we need to see. In looking at this, familiarity here can kill us. Here's what we need to see. That this symbolic act, and it is symbolic, we'll talk about that in a minute. But this symbolic act from Jesus, who is in the very nature God. This symbolic act of what Jesus does is a crescendo of ministry to them. To them. There's nobody else in the room right now. It's this crescendo of ministry to them that anticipates, anticipates its grand finale on the cross. So we'll talk about the symbol of this in a minute, but that's what's going on. But here's what we need to do for a minute. Is we don't need to rush. We don't need to rush through these two parts where Jesus loves them and he washes them. We don't want to rush because we get, to a, we get to a spot that Jesus goes after their heart and it motivates their hands. We don't want to rush to their hands. We want to sit in it for a minute. And to think about the reality that Jesus, by very, in the very nature, in his very nature is God. Makes himself low and takes on the form of a servant. And here's what he does. He lays, takes aside his outer garments. He wraps himself in a towel. He takes some water and his disciples sitting there, even Judas. You think about that, even Judas. And here's what he does. He takes their feet and he's pouring some water over their feet to wash them. And take a towel. He dries them. Get the picture of what's going on. The Messiah. The one whom, by whom, we are healed. The one who speaks it all into existence. I'm sorry, baby girl. I should have given you some heads up. I hate that. But you get the picture. God, in his very, in very essence, makes himself low. 
grabs their feet. Now you think about this. You think about what's going on. Jewish servants in this day, slaves, were not expected to wash the feet of other Jews. You catch that? Slaves. Servants. Not expected to wash the feet of other Jews. That was the lowliest of servants. There's even a story, a well-known rabbi, Rabbi Ishmael. He was coming back from synagogue and his mother was going to wash his feet. His own mother is going to wash his feet when he comes into the house. And he will not let her. He will not let her. And she takes him to court. It goes all the way to rabbinic court. Right? Talking to, other, to these other rabbis to get their approval. Right? And she said it would be a great honor to wash your feet. And they would not let her. Right? This is the kind of like humility that Jesus takes on himself. And what we don't want to do, what we don't want to do is miss it. We don't want to rush to the do and miss what's going on. Because you got to see, thanks guys, y'all can put your shoes back on. You got to see what's happening. Jesus cleans them. He washes their feet. And symbolically is teaching them some crazy things. He washes their feet. Now this humble service goes after their heart. He goes after their heart. He wants them to see Him take off His outer garments and make Himself low and grab their feet their nasty feet from walking through the dirt all the time. He grabs their feet and washes and washes them. And this humble service goes after their heart, but it motivates their hands. Thanks, Dan. But look here, look with me in verse 6. Y'all can have a seat. Look in verses 6 through 10. He comes to Peter. He's making his way around. He's washing feet. Peter sees it coming. Right? And as embarrassing as that is, right, there's some element of that. Like there's, if, if I'm in your spot and somebody says, hey Matt, come here, take your shoes off. It's like, no. You're not washing my feet. I don't want you to look at my feet. Right? I don't want you to look at my feet. I don't want you to touch my feet. I don't ask my wife to touch my feet. Right? Ain't, no, ain't nobody messing with my feet. Right? I mean, so there's, so there's this element of like, mm-mm. Right? That can be embarrassing. It can be off-putting. They would have absolutely felt that. And where everybody in the room at the time keeps it in, Peter, can, Peter has like this inability to keep it in, right? We see that all throughout the, all throughout the Bible or all throughout all the Gospels where we, where we see from Peter. He has this inability to keep it in. Look what Peter says. He came to Peter, verse 6, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? You are going to wash my feet? 
Jesus said, what I'm doing, you don't understand. But, you, but afterward, you will. John references that, that same, the same thing. He plays narrator, right, in chapter 11 or 12, where he goes, look, we didn't understand this at the time. We didn't understand it until after he was glorified. We didn't understand what's going on. Peter shows his cards, and Jesus says that. Like, look, dude, you don't understand. You don't understand. Look what Peter says. Verse 8, Peter said to him, you'll never, you'll never wash my feet. You're not going to wash my feet. And look at Jesus' response. And in Jesus' response, here's what we see. We see how deeply symbolic and serious, vital this is. This symbol is that we have to get and they have to get. Look what Jesus says. If I don't wash you, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Right? Now, this is what's not going on here. Jesus is not like, I command you to let me serve you. That's not what he's saying. He's recognizing the serious nature of the symbol. And here's, here's what's going on. This is anticipating, it anticipates the atonement that Jesus secures on the cross. Right? We see that in Jesus' response here. And here's the, here's the premise. If Jesus doesn't clean you up, you are not clean. You don't hear me. If Jesus doesn't clean you up, you are not clean. Now that principle applies all across the board. If Jesus doesn't forgive your sins, they are not forgiven. If Jesus doesn't make atonement, you will not have atonement. Right? It's not about washing feet. It's this bigger picture, right? This anticipates what's happening in 12 hours. That's, what, that's where we're going. We're going that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, God, the very nature of God, the image of the invisible God, He will end up on a cross, beaten and shamed and spit on and mocked and betrayed and crucified. And He will die. And in dying, He makes atonement. And we are clean. And if you, if Jesus does not clean you, you are not clean. That's the principle. That's what's going on. So, Jesus loves them. And we ought to sit in it and marinate in it for a little while. Jesus cleans them. He washes them. And then number three, Jesus teaches them how to operate in this kingdom. And he invites them into participation. Look with me in verses 13 and 14, or 14 and 15. Look with me. If I then, if I, Messiah, who you call your Lord and teacher. He uses teacher very purposely here. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. If I... Your Lord and teacher, then you also ought to. Crystal clear, unavoidable. This is what Jesus is saying, and this is part of the point. I have given you an example to do as I have done to you. And there's something about this in a relationship with Jesus, and I think, I think his disciples would have caught it. Maybe not, they were pretty dense. I like to think they would have caught it. This phrase, to do as I have done to you. And in an instant, you think through all the things that Jesus has done for you. 
For these, for these men to think through all that Jesus has done for me. All that Jesus has done for me. I was nobody. Right? You think you put yourself in John's shoes. I was nobody. Peter. I was a nobody. I was a fisherman. I was in a mess. I wasn't following a rabbi. I was trying to survive this junk. And I was just just average dude. Right? You think about what Jesus has done for me. Jesus saw potential of these ordinary guys. He pursued them. They didn't pursue Jesus. Jesus pursued them. He's the, he in, takes initiative to step into their life. He taught them and served them and loved them. He did life with them. He ate with them and partied with them. Right? And all the things that come together in life. He watched them. He walked through suffering. He gave them purpose. He shored up their identity. And it's like, who am I? He shored that up. He humbly served them. And he sacrificially loved them. And we could go on and on and on and on. But look what Jesus says. To do. You ought to do as I have done to you. What does it look like for them to do that? Some of that is very internal. Among this little group. How different does it change your relationship when you start thinking that way? Even in our own church. Jesus pursued me when I wasn't pursuing him. He loved me. He gave me identity and purpose. Right? He changed who I am. He adopted me as a son. He taught me all of these things. And so like when I view our relationship that way to go, man, how can I serve you? How can, I, how can I help you shore up identity? How can I pursue you and initiate relationship with you? How can I do this like internally? Service and love. Sacrificial, humble service and love. What does that look like to do that internally? It changes the game. But there's also, a, there's also an external implication here, right? Later in chapter 13, I don't know if we'll get there or not next week, uh, there's an external impact of this kind of relationship among Christians. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, to love one another. And in loving one another, they'll, they'll know you're my disciples. In the way that you love one another. In the way that you care for one another. In the way that you do that together. So we see this. We see this, and you've got to think of what's going on. He invites and commands them, both and. He invites and commands them to participate in what he's doing. You have been redeemed and restored and allowed, and even expected, to participate in following Jesus this way. You and them, me and them. That if you have been redeemed and restored, now you are allowed, expected, invited to participate in following Jesus this way. This is not just on the team, but riding the bench. right? It's not just, I got adopted in the family, but I'm a stepchild who just kind of hangs out. It's not that. This is, you are invited in and, and an integral part of the mission of God. He allows us to participate. That blows my mind when I think about that. That, you are, that he invites them into his mission and that this invitation of mission is a display of his love to them. This is a display of his love. It's not only washing their feet. It's inviting them into mission. Do you see that? 
It's not just, it's not only washing their feet, it's inviting them into the mission. There's no greater way for us to spend our life than participating in what God is doing. This is the best life we could live. It's not like, well, I've got this duty. I got this duty to follow Jesus, and I don't really like it, but I do it because I feel like I have to. That's not it. Now, sometimes we feel that way, but that's not it. Look, let's keep moving, wrap all this up. So he teaches them how to operate in this kingdom, this better kingdom he is inviting them into. And he invites them into participation to be part of this, to do what he has done. Not just to allow it to be done to them, but to follow his example, to walk in this. And it, it helps them to know what to do and how to live in this mission. Number four, Jesus reminds them of the why. He reminds them of the why, the motivation for following his example. Gideon and I were talking about this yesterday just a little bit. Imagine, I went and played basketball yesterday for a little while, and I, remind, I was reminded of how out of shape I am and how long it has been since I played basketball. Uh, but we went and played ball, and I was thinking through this, right, of going, imagine Michael Jordan, Greatest basketball player to ever play the game. Shows up at your door. Knocks on the door and says, hey dude, let's go play ball. I want to play ball with you. Let's go. Right, and you have this invitation, Michael Jordan. And there might be all these excuses, right? If I show up and said, hey dude, let's go play ball. Let's go play ball. It might be, man, it's cold. It's stupid cold outside. Or there's all kinds of slushy snow on the ground. You can't play basketball in that. Or this is so much better than me. I'm not going to win. Or I'm not even that good at basketball. Or I don't even like basketball. Or all whatever excuses might be there. But here's what happens when somebody like Michael Jordan shows up on your door, knocks on and says, hey, dude, I want to play ball with you. What happens is all the excuses fade because of the greatness of the inviter, right? Where you say, yeah, I'll go play ball with you. Yeah, you can dunk on me, right? You can dunk on me, let them go. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell all y'all that I just went and played basketball with Michael Jordan. And I'll be telling my grandkids, man, this one time Michael Jordan showed up at my door and invited me to play ball. And he, he whooped me, he schooled me. But I played ball with him. Of course I went and played ball with him. He's the greatest ball player that ever, has ever played the game. And he asked me to play, and I played with him. Because of the greatness of the inviter. Look, here's what's going on. Jesus reminds them of the why by reminding him of who he is. Look what he says. Truly, truly, verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Service not greater than master. Remember for a second, back through John, who he is. He is master. He is sender. He is shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. He is the word made flesh. Right? That spoke it all into existence. He is the creator. He holds all things together. He's the redeemer. He's the sustainer. The bread of life. The water of life. The light of life. He's the vine in chapter 15. That we're the branches. He's the restorer. He's the healer. He's the life giver. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the atoner. 
He's going to make atonement on the cross. He is the one that has authority to lay down his life and authority to take it up again. And he invites us to follow him. Of course I will follow you. I'm a nobody. Of course I'll follow you. The same way in a really small scale. It's like, of course I'll play ball with you. Of course I'll follow you. Of course. Now here's what happens. A lot of times, a lot of times we forget that. A lot of times life just completely knocks our legs out from, out from under us. And what we need to do is remember the greatness of the inviter. Right? When we struggle with motivation to follow Jesus, we don't want to. We don't want to. A lot of times what we need to do is to go back into this and remember the greatness of Jesus and the smallness of us. And here's the good news, is that he is restorer. That's what he does. So he reminds them who he is, and he reminds them of how his kingdom works. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Humble obedience and service is the path to blessing. The same way that the cross is the path to glory. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in our kingdom. But in the kingdom of God, this is how it works. Right? Jesus goes to the cross and is glorified. He's lifted up. He's glorified and being lifted up. Humble service and obedience, humility, is the path to blessing. This is what Jesus says. Like, Blessed are you if you do these things. If you follow me, that's where blessing comes from. So look, wrap this up. Here's a few simple takeaways. Four, four simple takeaways that come out of these four things. Number one. What do we do? What do we take away from this? My father-in-law always asks me this every time I preach. What's the, what do I do? What's the takeaway? Right? What's the simple takeaway? So I try to think that way. Now, here's number one. We, we can and, and ought recognize, even meditate on, and rest in the great love of God. Full stop. That's enough. Do we recognize God loves me? He loves me. A lot of times I don't feel lovable. A lot of times I mess this up. A lot of times I don't do what I ought to do. Neither do you. But he loves me. And he loves you. And we got to build this in as this like rhythm of remembrance. So we recognize this. We meditate on this. Right? We meditate on God's love for us. You know, in a, in a Christian meditation way, right, where it's not like you clear your head and think about nothing. It's like fill your head and think on that, right? Fill your head and think on that, that God loves us and he demonstrates his love for us in all these different ways. And particularly in John 13, he gets down on his knees, takes off his outer garments, and he demonstrates what is going on. He demonstrates love, sacrificial, humble love for them. We ought to think about that. Nothing impacts this for me. Nothing impacts impacts the recognition, meditation, and rest in the great love of God. Nothing impacts that like time in the Word for me. My time in the Word reminds me of the greatness of God's love. That's part of why you step into things like a Bible reading plan, right? It's not for your righteousness. It's not because reading, like doing things for God makes you more righteous. It's that you're reminded of God's great love for you. So number two, Ponder and chew on, think on the humble acts of sacrificial love and service 
of Jesus. So God loves us. That's what motivates all of this. But then if we think about, we chew on the humble acts of service of Jesus. That he physically makes himself low. He physically took their nasty feet and washed them. He physically dies on the cross in our place. We ought to think on those things. To ponder, chew on the humble acts of sacrificial love and service of Jesus. Our Messiah. We ought not run past them. This ought to be a practical takeaway. Right? Number three. Follow, a practical takeaway, follow Jesus' example as a regular rhythm of life. What do we do? We follow his example as a regular rhythm of life. If you don't know what to do, whether that's in, in the moment or in a season of life where things get crazy and you just don't know which way is up. I've had a bunch of seasons like that. You go, I don't know what to do. Whether you're burnt out or you're just paralyzed or you just don't have clarity to know what to do. We follow Jesus' example. That's, here's a great step. If you don't know what to do, make yourself low and find some feet. That's what you do. That's a great example to follow. You make yourself low and you find you some feet. When you don't know what to do, you don't know which way is up, you don't know how to act, and you don't know how to react, and you don't know what God's doing, and it might not be clear, and you don't know. It's okay to be there. It's okay to be there. But we know what to do when we're there. Rest in the great love of God. Think on the sacrificial love and service of Jesus. Make yourself, follow his example, make yourself low, find you some feet to wash. Serve humbly, give generously, follow faithfully. That's what's going on here. Number four, remember the greatness of the one who has invited you. Remember the greatness of the one who's invited you. So often, so often, we all, we'll just say, we'll lump all of us in this same boat. So often, we end up in the same spot. Going, I want to want to do this, but I don't want to. I want to want to. I want to want to read my Bible, but I don't really want to. I want to want to participate in the mission of God, but I don't want to. I want to want to enjoy God, but I just don't. Some of what we do in those moments is we go, I need to remember, God, help me remember the, the greatness of the one who's invited me. And here is the glorious news in that moment, is that he is a gracious, gracious restorer and a benevolent guide. He loves us. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed with your shortcomings and your failures. He loves us. Right? And this is a prayer that God answers. Ask Him to help for help when you need it. God, help me. Help me to want to walk with you. Help me to see this as life. Help me to want to, to serve. Help me to see this clearly. Help me to walk in these things together. So there's some really practical takeaways there that encompass a lot. Recognize, meditate on, rest in the love of God, ponder and chew on the, the humble acts of sacrificial love and service, follow Jesus' example as a regular rhythm of life, and remember the greatness of the one who's invited you.
Here's where we see the gospel. In this, you don't have to look very far. It's all over this. God loves proactively. Proactively. He steps in, sends his son to love us. He humbly descends. He makes himself low to make atonement. He washes our sins. Jesus will wash your sins. If you ask him to. And he invites us to follow him. He invites us to follow him. All those things together. I mean, that's, that's all elements of the gospel. God's love, his atonement, he washes our sin. He invites us to follow him, to know him, to relate to him as father. All of those things go together. And this invitation is, is on the table for you today. It's on the table for you today. So wherever you are, whatever's going on, we want to take a few minutes to respond. I want to pray for us, pray over us, and then hand it off. Brad's going to lead us into a time of response. So let's do that now. God, I thank you for your word, for the way that you teach us through it. Lord, you are good and loving and kind. You reveal yourself to us in ways that we don't deserve. But I'm grateful for. Lord, I pray that you'd help us in whatever season we may be in to love you more. To come to grips with our identity that is wrapped up entirely in Christ. And we don't know what to do to make ourselves low, find some feet. God, help us to remember the, the glory and the goodness and the majesty of the one that has invited us in. Thank you for your kindness and your love towards us. Help us now as we respond to do it sensitively and convictionally, not just to go through the motions. God, but that you would work on us. Make us look more like your son. And we thank you. For Jesus, we pray in his good name. Amen.